Space Shuttle, this is Flight Safety. This podcast may contain adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. Please keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle while in motion. You are clear for launch. The following paragraphs are from a fanfiction titled Phenomenally Unnerving by today's guest fanfiction writer, Seriously Sapphic. I should take points from Slytherin for being out well after curfew, Narcissa said with a calm, cold voice that she was proud to manage, even though she was growing steadily less sure about her position here. Pandora looked at her with a smile, unsurprised and unperturbed. Or you could kiss me, Pandora suggested. Narcissa stared at her. Excuse me? She managed. Her cold tone melted away in a flush of shock and intrigue. Pandora only smiled, putting her bag away over her shoulder. She took a step closer to Narcissa. You could deduct those points from our house, she said. Or you could kiss me. You could even do both, if you really want to. Narcissa stared a moment longer. She'd been embarrassingly infatuated with Pandora Lovegood for months. She'd thought about kissing her, but in Narcissa's mind, a kiss was what came after a date, after a healthy amount of flirtations, and after establishing that there was both a connection and a future. A kiss didn't come from a simple, you could kiss me. That wasn't the way these things should happen. Pandora Lovegood had never really paid attention to how things were supposed to happen, had she? That was how she'd made Narcissa so infatuated in the first place, after all. And it was how she was still standing here talking to Pandora, even though she should have taken the points and the ingredients upon seeing her and sent the girl on her way to the dorms. Narcissa scoffed. Then she looked at Pandora, her brown eyes fixated on Narcissa's shoulders instead of her face. She scoffed a second time and sighed. She really did want to kiss Pandora. Perhaps it didn't matter too much that this was not at all the way romance was supposed to happen. I could do both, Narcissa told her. Pandora's eyes flickered to meet hers with a smile, and then looked away again, this time looking at Narcissa's lips. Narcissa knew that there'd be no one else in this part of the castle at this time of the night. The professors trusted prefects enough to not patrol the halls themselves as well most of the time. And James would stay far away from the dungeons if he could help it. All the same, she looked around them twice before finally taking the last step that put them close enough to touch. Pandora took her hand, and Narcissa shouldn't have been surprised by her forwardness. Both it is, Pandora said softly, giving Narcissa no time to worry about how fast her heart started beating when she leaned up on her toes and pressed her lips against Narcissa's. Narcissa squeezed Pandora's hand nervously, responding to her kiss with such poorly hidden excitement that she was surprised Pandora didn't laugh at her. Her free hand she placed on Pandora's waist, and she couldn't help but chuckle when they had to break apart for air too soon because she was too exhilarated. Kiss me again, Narcissa whispered, her eyes widening when Pandora nodded and turned them so that Narcissa stood with her back against the wall. Pandora lifted their joint hands a bit higher, squeezing Narcissa's hand sweetly, before she kissed her a second time.
to the north, south, east, and west four corners of the world. Greetings from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue, and this is the Fanfic Maverick Podcast. Today's guest fan fiction writer is Seriously Sapphic. She has been a member of AO3 since 2015 and has 210 fan fiction works posted for the Harry Potter universe, uh, under this screen name at least. She runs um, Harry Potter Sapphic Microfix on Tumblr, the Harry Potter Trans Fest, and HPMCD Fest. She's also about to start her master's degree in English literature. Hell yes. Seriously, Sapphic has a soft spot for all of the unapologetically girly girls in fiction. And it's quite rare to find her writing any fic that's not Narcissa Malfoy or Femme Slash Centered. I love that. She also has a cat who could easily pass as Lucius Malfoy's reincarnation because, and I quote, he's an all-white son of a bitch and she loves that little guy. So I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. Seriously, Sapphic, welcome to Fanfic Maverick. How you doing today? Hi, I'm doing just fine. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm so happy that you're here. And of course, welcome to your cat, too. I know he's probably like steering clear of what you're doing right now. But if he wants to share his opinions on fan fiction today, he's more than welcome. Just throwing that out there. Pets are welcome on FFM. I don't think he's going to be very positive about it, but he'll have opinions. <laughs> yes, judgy opinions are totally welcome here if they're from a cat. Of course. I have to kick my cat out of the studio because he likes to chew on my wires, but in general, <laughs> in general, we, we are all good with that kind of thing here. So I want to hear about your history with fan fiction. We all have that point in our life where we discover fan fiction for the very first time. And I always love to hear people's stories. Do you remember finding your very first fan fiction? Do you remember what it was? I don't remember the specific like fic it was, but it was Pretty Little Liars fan fiction specifically for Ezra and Arya from the show. I, I think I started watching it when I was like 11 or 12. And I didn't know what fan fiction was, but I started looking just like, I think I just started looking up like pictures of the couple. I was really obsessed with them for a little while there. And then looking back, it's like, okay, what were you, why? <laughs> just <laughs> bad choices all around. But you had at the time, like a lot of those YouTube fan videos which were so good or at least the way I remember them they were so good I have not looked back in like 10 years but from there on you saw like some links to different fan fictions on Wattpad I think and my mind was just blown that people were writing this about this thing that I loved and like adding way more to the story and Honestly, just writing a lot of smut about the same two characters. Let's be real. Of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, you got to do what you got to do. I didn't spend a lot of time in that specific fandom, but that really got me started into, oh my God, this exists. And I think from there on, at some point, I, I just kind of wondered, has anyone thought to do this for Harry Potter? <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, this was in like 2013 or something. Yeah, people were doing this for Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, and they had been doing it for a long time. They had been at that doing point. it for so long. I was mind blown. It was great. 
So I think I just really dove straight into like a lot of Dreary and Wolfstar fan fiction from that point on for like a few years. But I honestly, I don't remember any like specific stories that I read. It was just a lot of Wattpads and fanfiction.net stuff. I only found AO3 way later on. Oh, yeah. I was just going to ask. It sounds like you did start out with Wattpad and then eventually, you know, migrated over to AO3. Yeah. Are there any, uh, how do I ask this question? I'm always so curious about the differences between, you know, Wattpad and AO3 and everything. I don't have a ton of experience with Wattpad. I have been there to that website. I have experimented with it here from time to time. But I always, you know, end up on AO3. That's my main site, of course. But yes, um, I was just kind of wondering, like, do you remember any like major differences that you noticed between like the Wattpad crowd and the AO3 crowd or differences between the applications or the experience? I'm just kind of curious about what that was like. There are definitely like a bunch of differences in like my experience in fandom at the time and the way it is now. But I don't know to what degree that is just, I was 12 doing fandom and now I'm 22. Like, you know, I, I would like a lot of what I did on Wattpad was my friend and I were writing like dreary fan fiction with like a self insert of ourselves that wasn't shipped with either of the characters. It was just there, like getting them <laughs> together, being their friends. <laughs> Yes, Which, yes, interacting with them, right? It was great, yeah. We had so much fun. But I think w one of the biggest things, like, it generally feels like a younger crowd that's doing Wattpad at any point in time. It feels like the very accessible, like, that's the side other kids your age are going to point you to when you start getting into it. But specifically, I... What I loved about Wattpad was like, you had, you have the ability to comment on each paragraph. You can comment on the overall chapter or story at the end, but while reading, there's like a little text bubble next to each paragraph and you can leave a comment for like the specific phrases you liked, which is so much fun. And especially with like longer works, that's so much fun to do because you're at the end when you get to it you're kind you've kind of forgotten most of the like really like the things that made you laugh or something so it's just really nice to be able to comment that while you're reading yeah i have heard about that feature i've had a lot of people tell me like oh that is one of the cool things about about wattpad so it is really interesting especially that you say that um you know it's kind of the younger crowd that ends up there i think i would agree with that because i feel like you know I have a, a sister who I love dearly. She's uh, she's 20 years younger than me. So we definitely grew up in different <laughs> generations, you know. Yes. And uh, I like to tease her, you know, like, oh, you're Gen Z and I'm like an old millennial and everything. And, um, you know, I go to her a lot for technology advice, you know, of using course. all these new apps because I don't know how to use them. <laughs> Every time I think about Wattpad now, I think about Wattpad kind of being like the Snapchat of fan fiction, you know, like all the, the mm. Gen Z kids are using it, you know. <laughs> and I think that my sister actually has found a couple of fan fiction. She's not a fan fiction person, but out of curiosity, I think she has stumbled on fan fiction every now and then. And and I think it was on Wattpad is where she found it. Yes. But uh, yeah, so that tracks, that totally tracks where it's just like, the, the, that's the one that the young kids are like starting out with. It's like, yeah, it's like, and like I had a great almost. time doing that. But I think as soon as I like found AO3 and like figured out how it worked and that I could also post fan fiction to that site, 
I just stopped using Wattpad and fanfiction.net entirely. I, and I don't really know why exactly. I was 14. I did not. <laughs> I don't know my thought process at the time, but I haven't really looked back since. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you think it had anything to do with community aspect at all with AO3? Because I know that sometimes when you're involved in a particular fandom, writing fanfiction and posting and everything, you end up forming, you know, friendships and things with other people in the same fandom. And if they're on a certain platform using that consistently, I would think that for community reasons, you know what I mean? That you would yeah. probably stick to the platform that all of your fandom friends are using. So I don't know if community has anything to do with it too, but. Yeah, I think at the time, like I was getting like a little more wrecks. Like I think that it's around the same time I started using Tumblr for the first time. Because I was running like a fandom Instagram account before that. And like I saw all these screenshots from Tumblr. And I, at some point I was like, hey, I might as well just go to Tumblr and get them directly. Instead of waiting for the screenshots to pop on here. And I think a lot of the like regs that, that are posted to Tumblr are automatically linked to AO3. Like, I don't really see many fanfiction.net or Wattpad links on Tumblr. You know, I don't think I do either. Now no. that you said that, <laughs> I don't think I see very many links to Wattpad. That is actually, yeah, a really good point. So I think as soon as I started looking for fanfiction on Tumblr and like following more people there, you just kind of automatically start using AO3 more. Because that's just where you find all the fix now. Right, right. Yeah, it's like, you know, the community that you're surrounded with on the platform that you're on and whatever platform they're using for fan fiction, that kind of is probably where people tend to gravitate. And you're right. I don't feel like I see very many Wattpad links on, no. on Tumblr now that I think about that. You know, I'm curious about something that you said a couple of minutes ago about Instagram. You said that you were running an Instagram like fandom page. Yeah. <laughs> As an old person. I didn't get into Instagram until maybe three years ago. And I will be the first to admit, I have an Instagram for the podcast, but I find myself not posting there very often. And I should. It, that's my bad, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I always like, you know, say it at the end of every show, but I have been really bad at posting there. I mostly post <laughs> on Twitter and Tumblr these days. But I've always been curious about the like fandom presence on Instagram because I do like watching reels on there. I think that they're funny and interesting to watch, but I have not really encountered a whole lot of fan fiction related Instagram pages or reels. Every now and then I'll encounter like maybe a fandom specific, you know, reel or page or something. But I just feel like I personally haven't encountered that very often. Am I just missing it? Am I missing something? Are these things popular on Instagram and I just don't know? Or I think not anymore, at least from that I know. I think a lot of that crowd moved on to Tumblr or Twitter or TikTok now. I was running this when I was like 13. So th this has been like eight, eight or nine years ago at this point. Which, in terms of social media, is a very long time. <laughs> yeah, that's a long time, yes. So you're saying I missed the boat on that? I think so, bit. yeah. <laughs> but I don't, like, it was mainly, like, a bunch of 12 to 16-year-olds posting, like, screenshots from Tumblr. 
um, like little mood boards or edits they were making, which I had such a great time doing. Like it was so much fun making like these, like these photo menips, I think. You know, you, you just take a bunch of different like screen caps from the movie and some other pictures that fit into it and you make like a little blend of it in like Pixart. And it's so much fun to do. A lot of it was just very, it was very pretty and aesthetic and not very, um, you didn't really talk about the characters very much. It wasn't very content heavy other than, hey, look at all, look at these pretty things I made. Which was so much fun. I was going to say, it sounds like so much fun. It reminds yeah. me a lot of like, um, you know, fan vidding back in my oh, day yes. before we had, you know, <laughs> social media and YouTube and all of that. And people still do it. People still do it today. I want to be clear on that. But yes, I love those videos on YouTube, especially. Like, I think it's also very popular on TikTok, but fandom on TikTok kind of scares me. So I don't know that much <laughs> about it. I don't blame you. Yeah, I have heard that <laughs> certain fandom topics are popular on TikTok, but they yeah. can also be like crazy places, of yeah. course, because it's social media. I have yet to take the dive into TikTok. All of the Hunger Games content <laughs> on TikTok is so good, though. It's beautiful. It really? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just very popular to, especially with, with Taylor Swift songs and like different scenes from the movies or from like TV shows and stuff. It's it, it all hurts so much, but it fits so nicely. It's great. So when you think about fan fiction, like just in general, as a general concept, and when you're talking to other people about fan fiction, what are some favorite things that come to mind for you when you think about and talk about fan fiction in general? I mean, we all already talked a little bit about like that community aspect. It's just so much fun. I have been writing or trying to write fan fiction since I found out it existed. But when I was like like 11 or 12 trying to write Ezra Aria fan fiction on Wattpad, I had fun doing it, but it also was very... I did that on my own and then I posted it and no one was really following me and I wasn't good. Because, you know, I was this 12-year-old trying to write stuff in English. I wasn't good at English. This was not, those stories were really bad, like objectively. <laughs> but it got you writing. Yeah, it was like, and they improved my English along the way, like immensely. But at the time, they were very objectively quite terrible. I didn't really have like other like friends who were into that stuff. And it wasn't until I started like the Instagram side of things that you realized like, oh, this is way more fun when you're talking about it with other people because on Instagram you had a, like a lot of group chats being made and like these little ask trends going around where you screenshotted a picture and then people in the comments could ask you questions which was all very superficial and I don't talk to almost any of those people except for one anymore like there's one friend that I met through like a dreary Instagram post that I'm still friends with and it's great neither of us are into dreary anymore but that's fine but like, I think that's just the great thing about it. It's very, even when I'm not actively writing, I am talking to other people about the stuff that I want to write and the stuff that they are writing and the stuff that we don't have time to write, but would love to at some point in the next few years, which is most, most things. 
like I always enjoyed writing and I've been doing that on my own for a long time, but specifically just talking about everything that you love so very much is just so much fun. Even when you don't have the time to like actively be writing or reading fan fiction, just talking about the things that you would like to do or the things that you're thinking about is so much fun. Yes, that connective nature, connecting with other human beings who share the same passion for the same things that you do and having that commonality and being able to just, you know, form friendships with people all over the world, really. Yes. You know, over those commonalities. That is a wonderful thing that can add a lot of joy to your life. I agree with that. And fan fiction is absolutely a part of that equation, you know. I don't know about you, but I love when I encounter this really interesting fan fiction. A lot of times my first instinct is to talk about it with somebody, you know, like somebody needs to hear how amazing this is, you know. And um, so I guess that's why in part I started the podcast because (laughs) I wanted to talk about fan fiction with somebody. And I agree that that can just be like this wonderful thing in life, being able to connect with other people and have that community aspect to the whole experience. It's beautiful. I think that's especially in like the Harry Potter fandom, because so many people have these very niche, ultra specific interests that they are so passionate about that even characters that I didn't even remember being in the books until very recently, someone has spent years thinking about. Just <laughs> yes. And I love that so much, especially if you then find someone who has like fixated on the same very niche character as you have. And it's like, okay, this is perfect. We can talk about this for hours now because everyone else thinks I'm annoying when I do that. It's so much fun. Yeah, I think that that's one of the really cool things about fandom being online now yes your chances of finding another person who might be equally obsessed about some very niche thing before the internet right you just kind of had to keep that shit to yourself the chances of you finding somebody in real life who shared your passion were, were pretty low but uh but that's the wonderful thing i guess about i mean the internet can be horrible too but the wonderful thing about it is that your chances of connecting with other people who, uh, who have your same interest are a lot higher, which is super cool. Um, and we'll talk about special interests here in a second because I want to hear your thoughts on uh, some of yours. So for fan fiction, we've kind of covered like the community aspect of it. But I'm kind of wondering also, as far as fan fiction goes and besides the community aspect, are there other positive things that you feel like fan fiction has brought to your life? I'm kind of wondering, like, for you personally, what does it feel like for you when you're writing fan fiction? Why do you do it? I'm just so curious about what that experience has looked like for you. I mean, as far as positive things that fan fiction has brought to my life, I think it's the main thing that, like, set in motion me now studying English literature. Because I think before that, like, I... Most people in the Netherlands, they kind of, they know English. It's just what, like, no one speaks Dutch. So we learn different kinds of languages in high school. And I was never really good at it at all. So I think for the first, like, year in high school, I was getting, like, four out of ten on all all my tests. It was quite, quite miserable. And then I got into fan fiction. And 
for a very little while, I looked into what like Dutch fandom was doing, which is not much at all. I think even now there on AO3, there's very little Dutch fanfiction and most of it is like just political crack AUs, which is fun, but not what I'm going to look for in a serious fandom manner. Like it's a lot of crack stuff about our politicians today. Which is hilarious to read with friends, but not something I'm going to write myself. So, like, from then on, when I was, like, 12, everything that I do online has just been in English. And I started reading a lot in English, which then made English classes so much more fun. Because suddenly I was really good at it, and no one understood why. And I was very talented all of a sudden. It felt great. (laughs) You're like, I have a secret. (laughs) No, but like just engaging with another language constantly, especially through reading and then trying to write a lot of it, just really makes it so much easier to pick up. So through that, I really started to love reading and reading in English a lot more than I did before. Because when you don't know a language... Trying to read something in it is just, its it can be fun, but it's also very tiring and it takes so much time and energy because you constantly have to like, you're reading it and you're just like, okay, I don't know that word and I don't know that word and I don't know this. I think the gist of this page could be a sort of, yeah, I, I get it, I guess. And it's not really that great of an experience. And fan fiction is just a really great way of, trying to get more comfortable with it because you already know everything outside of the story. You already know roughly what to expect and what's going to happen. And you know who the characters are. So you're jumping in with kind of like this head start and you don't have to worry about the language as much, which is just great. Oh, that's so interesting. I had never thought about that aspect before. I have talked to other people where English is a second language and they, they, you know, I've heard other writers say, oh, yes, fan fiction absolutely helped me with learning another language. But I never thought about that aspect before. And that's such a great point that, you know, when you jump into a fan fiction, part of the story you kind of already know, right? Because you already have a background in the canon and in the characters. And so you already have this level of familiarity with some of the content. And now you can just really kind of focus on other parts of the, the reading experience. Yes, you already know what's going to come. So you don't have to put as much mental effort into it anymore. Like, I, th- I think for a long time, I was also just like rereading books that I'd read in Dutch, but reading the actual English text, like Royal Dahl books and stuff like that, which have Dutch translations. So you already know exactly what's supposed to happen in each chapter because you've read the book, but now you're reading it in English. So you can actually like figure out, oh, hey, I don't know this word, but I know that it's supposed to be about this. So that makes it a lot easier to process. But I think other than that, like now, like I'm pretty confident in my English. So now I mainly write fan fiction just because... I mean, the community aspect, obviously, and I just have so many thoughts about so many characters, and it's just a lot of fun to be able to indulge yourself in it like that with no other 
pressure to actually like do it super well or finish it at a certain date. Like when I'm writing original stuff, I put a lot more pressure on myself to make it like worthy of my time, which is not the best attitude to have. But in fan fiction, it's way easier to just be like, okay, this is for fun. I'm just allowed to have a lot of fun with this right now. And I don't have to worry about anything else. I'm just going to take these characters that I already know I love and do this little thing about uh, with them that I've been thinking about and really want to do. And there's no other like reason to do it besides having a good time. Oh, I love that. Because yes, like you're describing a feeling that I don't really have a word for right now, but I understand what you're saying. Because you're describing this interesting pressure that you feel when you're doing original stuff. And I can absolutely see why that would be true. Because I think sometimes we associate original writing with like serious writing, you know, (laughs) it's very Mm -hmm. serious. Mm -hmm. But with fan fiction, that association in our minds, the pressure's off with fan fiction because there is no rule about it has to be this way or that way or it has to be serious or good or anything. It can be anything. Yes, you can just have fun. Yes, you can just have fun. And that does take a lot of that psychological pressure off where you can just focus on the enjoyment of the process rather than constantly worrying in the background about, you know, this or that. Although not to say that people still don't pressure themselves with fan fiction because oh, absolutely. I'm on Reddit a lot <laughs> and I see what people are posting about writing fan fiction on there. And there are people who still put a lot of pressure on themselves, you know, for various reasons, which I'm just like, oh, it's it's OK. You know, don't don't feel so bad. You're doing fine. You know, <laughs> Yes, that's so, so interesting. I love that. That it just feels like a lot less pressure for you and it just feels like this fun, pleasurable, enjoyable experience. And ultimately, I feel like that's what self-expression and creativity should be feeling like most of the time, right? Because uh, the world has enough pressure in it. We have enough things to be anxious about, (laughs) enough things to worry about. Can we just have something that we can do because it feels good? Can we do that? That would be great. Please. (laughs) Yes. Um, I want to talk about Narcissa Malfoy here, because when you first contacted me, you were telling me like, hey, I, I kind of have this special interest, you know, like I like Harry Potter, but within Harry Potter, I have this special niche interest and it happens to be Narcissa Malfoy, which I think is so fascinating and so interesting. And it sounds to me, based on our communications, that she's been your special interest for quite a while now, which I love. <laughs> I kind of want to know, like, how did that special interest start for you? And I, I want you to tell me, like, why Narcissa Malfoy? Tell me all of the things that you find interesting and compelling about her. So I don't know why exactly it started. I remember, like, the exact moment because my brain just, like, switched. And from that point on, it's been Narcissa. But, like, I think before, like, between like 2013 and 2015, I was reading mainly dreary fan fiction and like just dreary. I wasn't really interested in looking beyond what, what other people were doing. It was just one ship. And then I think in one fic, I have no idea which one, 
like Narcissa isn't even like a big character in it or something. Like she's just occasionally in the background. She's there. Draco has a mom, you know? And in that fix, she just, she dies randomly in the Battle of Hogwarts. And my brain just went, wait a minute. No, <laughs> that's not, that, that's not what, no, that's not what's supposed to be happening. And just very much went like, oh, fucking dreary. I'm not interested in this. Why is the story continue? She's dead. She was so unimportant to that partic particularly fanfiction. So of course the story was continuing. But I was just like, what's the point anymore? She, did she d just die randomly? Oh my God. And I was just in shock. I don't know why that what she wasn't in the story other than that. She just was mentioned in passing as having died in the Battle of Hogwarts. And that's that. Wow. That's so interesting <laughs> to me that like she wasn't even heavily present in the story. But somehow in your brain, the idea of her not being there, even as a peripheral presence, triggered something for you. That's yes. so interesting. I wonder why. I think thinking back around the same time, my mom was very sick. So I think it was really just that kind of association, which I didn't realize at the time at all. Like, that's just one of those things where you look back like eight years later and it's like, oh, hey, that might have been, huh, interesting. So I think it was just really that, so I, like, she wasn't in the story. But suddenly she was dead and it was just like, wait, that's not what's supposed to be happening. That can't happen. I want to know all about her now. <laughs> wow. So that kind of triggered this, like, you know, this interest, this obsessive, like, okay, now it's all about Narcissa. Yeah. So now we're eight years on and it's still oh. all about Narcissa. <laughs> oh my God. So, okay. So I'm curious, like when that triggered in your brain... Did you end up going back to the original canon books to like rehash her part and her place in canon? Or were you more like focusing on Narcissa Malfoy centric fan fiction after that? Were you watching the movies a lot to wait for her to appear on screen? I'm just kind of wondering what that interest focus looked like for you. In, in you know, all of the above. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it also translated to really loving Helen McCrory, like the actress who played her. Yes. And like, I've, at one point I made my girlfriend at the time, like watch movies with me just because she was in it. <laughs> and bless her, she indulged me. It was great. <laughs> well, you know, I've always thought that that actress is so beautiful. There's I just know. something about her. She's so gorgeous. And I think Part of it is how expressive she is in yes. her face. Like her facial expressions are so interesting. And um, she's able to portray a lot of emotion without actually saying. Yes. I was thrilled when they chose her as Narcissa Malfoy in the movies. Because I was like, yes, no one else could have done this. This <laughs> is fantastic. So I totally get what you're saying with her. That's perfect. But I think like I mainly went like I went back to the books. Like I, I think I specifically looked up like which chapters she was in so I could reread those specific bits, which are just all fascinating. <laughs> like she's not in a lot of scenes and she's not 
on page for most of the books, obviously. But like the few scenes we actually see her in, you just see these wildly different sides of her and it's just this mess of a character. I love it. Like, it's such an unstable, complicated being in those few scenes, which is just very interesting to, to then see how people choose to interpret that in fanfiction. Because it makes it very easy to like lean into one specific aspect of it. Which is, I think, something that, pe- that fanfiction tends to kind of do. Like, it exaggerates certain canon traits and then it completely ignores other canon things. Because, you know, you, you create this image of the character in your head and you choose which fits them better. And you choose which you like writing about better. So it's just very interesting to see what different people do with the same character. When she only has those few scenes. Yes, that has always fascinated me about fan fiction. Fan fiction writers' ability to take any character, and it is so interesting to see what they focus on. And so I feel like in my head, for different characters that I'm in love with, I have all of these very interesting different versions of them in my head based on what I have read in fan fiction. And it's so interesting to like observe which versions I gravitate to and why. And then when you encounter somebody's interpretation of the character that is a, like wildly different from most other people's, that's always interesting too. Because yes. you're like, oh, this fits, but I never thought about it like this before. Like, oh, that's so interesting. So it sounds like with Narcissa specifically, you were kind of drawn to that chaotic nature of her personality and who she was because it sounds to me like she has a lot of different sides to her, right? That could be expanded on and talked about and kind of fleshed out in fanfiction particularly. So I bet that that was a really interesting process. Yes, because <laughs> like I think in the books, like we only really see her on page in like I think four, six and seven. And then she's like mentioned as also existing in book five, which like when you've like in Goblet of Fire, I don't think she even says anything. Like she's just there as Lucius's wife and Draco's mom. And she's looking around all bitchy. I think she's described as having like this look on her face. That, like she would have been very pretty, but she looks like, like she's smelling something really bad all the time. Like resting bitch face kind of. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Like, she's just here in this Quidditch crowd, and she is not pleased. But that's all you get to her in that book. And then in Order of the Phoenix, she's just mentioned as having been the one to, like, talk to Creature and, like, get him to lie to Harry about where Sirius is. Um, He goes to, like, Bellatrix and Narcissa, and she's the one who kind of sets up that scenario where, hey, like, when Harry Potter asks this, tell him this, just do it. And she kind of sets that in motion, which is great. I love it. You know, accidentally bringing about your cousin's death. Why not? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> We've oh, all been there. My God. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. But then, like in Half-Blood Prince, you know, like you have the whole chapter of Bellatrix and Narcissa coming to visit Snape for the Unbreakable Vow. And she's a mess, which makes sense because, you know, her husband's just been imprisoned for life and her son is being sent on a suicide mission. No one would be doing okay. But she is just like, every time I reread that chapter, I'm kind of surprised 
Because I think a lot of fanfiction tends to like gravitate towards like more what we see in Goblet of Fire, like this very put together regal woman who just looks like a bitch all the time and really has it all together. And then in the in that chapter, like she is on the ground on her knees, crying into his shirt, kissing his hands, begging him to help save Draco. Like, she's throwing wine across the room while Bellatrix stands in the background like, girl, what are you doing? It's beautiful. Yeah, you see this intense moment of vulnerability with her that you never see anywhere else. The next scene in Half-Blood Prince where you see her, she's bullying teenagers about Sirius' death, which is just... (laughs) Like, I think she's, like... I, I they meet somewhere in Diagon Alley and like her and Harry just start taunting each other about like her husband being in prison and his godfather, who is her cousin, being dead. And it's just this like she's supposed to be really like this high class socialite and she's standing here in the streets bullying kids. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Yeah, that's like unhinged behavior a little bit, right? <laughs> no, she's really showing that her maiden name is Black. It's great. She fits right into the dramatics of the rest of the family. She just hides it a little bit better. Have you thought about why her chaotic nature is appealing to you? Like, I'm just so curious, like, what is it about that particularly that is like compelling for you? I think it's fascinating, too. I'm just kind of wondering, like, oh, that's so interesting. Is it just because it's interesting just in the fact that it's chaos? Or is there something else particular that you've kind of been able to pinpoint as to why you feel like you're drawn to that? I think it's mainly because, like, all those chaotic moments, they really come as a a surprise. Because other than that, like, in Goblet of Fire, and, like, when you, like, even just before that, when you, like, picture the Malfoy family... That's not the image you have in mind. It's not someone on her knees crying into Snape's clothes, throwing wine across his living room. That's not the picture you have. I just really love those characters who like are able to hide that like more chaotic, messy nature so well. Like in general, these like I really enjoy like purebloods stuff, like these just aristocracy, high society, where everyone is very dressed up and looks all beautiful and put together. And look, we are perfect. We are better than you. We have our lives together. And then go home and just have the most insane behaviors. Keeping everything very pretty and nice and good in public and having this very chaotic kind of messed up private life. I just love that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. Yes. That's making a lot of sense to me. I think I can see where that's coming from a little bit. Because yes, as you say that, I'm thinking of certain TV shows that I've been really drawn to. And a lot of the ones that I really like happen to be ones where it's that sort of dynamic. Yeah, Where these very prestigious, rich families who seem all put together in public life, but then as the show progresses and you start seeing them in their private life, like they are so messed up and like so unhinged 
And you're I just like, it. oh, the drama of it is so delicious. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm thinking of like shows like Succession. Oh, yes. Billions was another one that's kind of like that. So, yes, absolutely. And, and, and I think that that thematic type of a story goes really well with Narcissa particularly because you're right. Like she comes from a prestigious family. She marries into a prestigious family her life is supposed to be all about yes. image right and then and then that you see these moments where she's just utterly falling apart yes so yes like i could see how that would be amazingly compelling um one of the things that i really loved about reading your fan fictions is just the way that i feel like you kind of focused on that a little bit in some of these stories you at least from what i saw you you mostly post one shots yeah yeah <laughs> So I chose three and I went ahead and I chose like three of different pairings because you write for different pairings. And I thought, oh, okay, let's, you know, let's get a good taste of these different pairings and stuff. So I went ahead and I read Promise of Forever, Phenomenally Unnerving, and You'd Come Back to Me. And they were all so good and so interesting because you get different aspects of things going on here. One of these fics is not Narcissa-specific. One of these is like Lavender and Parvati, I think. But the other two had Narcissa in them, and it was just so interesting to me because you do kind of focus on that image aspect of Narcissa and then what's sort of boiling beneath the surface for her. Mm-hmm. That's just my favorite thing <laughs> yeah. about her. Like, the way I write her, she's very aware of the role that she has to play in her family and she accepts that very easily she's very much like okay yeah that's the price i pay for this life of protection and luxury that i live like you know i've been born into this family that's what i deserve and in order to keep on deserving it i have to be perfect and i have to look perfect and i have to be perfect and do all these perfect things to make that better and then under the surface it's just that's not what she needs at all. And she doesn't even really care or realize that it's not going to make her, like, actually, you know, happy or anything in the long run. Like, you can pretend to be perfect all you want, but in the end, you're still going to be absolutely miserable. And I really like giving her people who kind of push her buttons with that because she hates it and she needs it so desperately. Yes, I feel like that was sort of the theme of two of these. Tell us briefly, like, what inspired these three fics here that I've mentioned. And then I kind of also want to know what your favorite part of writing each one of those was, if you remember. Yes. So Promise of Forever, That's um, it has like past Lavender Parvati and then present Luna Parvati. It was written for like a very brief competition in a Discord server, so... The main inspiration, well, I think all the prompts in that were Ghibli quotes. And this one was, my heart is stronger now that you're in it, which is just so sweet. I have no idea what movie it's from. I don't know Ghibli very well, but it's such a good quote. And I think it was mainly just like when I write Lightning Era stuff, I really love focusing on what they all went through as teenagers. And how that would have affected them after the war was over. Because, you know, I I mainly write Marauders era stuff. And then I'm really like focusing on like 
the pain of the war, but they're going through it when they're a bit older. Like, still way too young for that to be happening to them. But they're adults. This is just, like, teenagers losing their friends and their loved ones and fighting for their lives at school, which is just terrible. So I really like giving specifically Cho and Parvati, like, just happier endings when they can heal from everything that's happened to them. And I, Luna is just... I think she's just a really perfect partner for any kind of scenario like that. Because she is so understanding and lighthearted and kind of odd, but in a really comforting way. And I think especially like after the war is over, the fact that she's been kind of this outcast her whole life doesn't really matter as much anymore. Because, you know, they've all been through Dumbledore's army and seventh year at Hogwarts in the room of room of requirement together and helping each other survive it. So I think it's very nice to see, like, these new connections forming while they're all really grieving these people that they've lost in the war. So for this one, it's very much like poverty struggling so much to move on after... Lavender dies during the Battle of Hogwarts. Because generally I like keeping Lavender alive. And I like that way better. But I like angst. I like pain. So, you know, she's going to die sometimes. Right, it's right. Just, <laughs> I love her so much, but it has to happen. But just really feeling so lost without her there. Because she's realizing that Lavender really is one of the only people she was like actively talking to. And actively like friends with. So now that Lavender's gone, she's just walking around like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here anymore. Yeah, you describe her moving through life like a ghost. Yes. She just doesn't have... Because, you know, Lavender was her the light of her life. Yes. You know, like you said, she didn't really have a whole lot of interaction with other people. And so no. when the one person who knows you and is a daily part of your life is just gone, the intensity of that grief cannot be understated. I loved in this fic how you talked about the experience of communal grieving. The whole school and really like the whole wizarding world in the UK goes through this experience where, like you said, they've all lost somebody. You probably will be hard-pressed to find anybody in the Wizarding World after the war is over who hasn't lost someone yeah. that they know. Uh, you know, a spouse, a sibling, a friend, somebody, right? And so it was very interesting, the part where you're talking about how, on the one hand, everybody having that experience of loss can be helpful on the one hand because we all understand now what that's like because we've all lost somebody. But on the other hand, that can also be extremely isolating as well because everybody's grieving somebody. And so you kind of feel sometimes like your grief sort of gets lost in the background. And so sometimes you just feel like, I guess I'm just silently suffering through this. Other people are grieving too, and they don't have the bandwidth, the emotional bandwidth to no. properly support you because they're grieving too. And I had never thought about that before. That was interesting and compelling to me. Like, yeah, 
that would be like a crazy thing to go through this communally with everybody, which on the one hand, it's nice to be able to uh, relate to other people in your grief. But on the other hand, you're lonely in it, too, because yes. everybody's busy with their own, you know, loss and everything. And so it was just this really beautiful thing when Luna sort of like she doesn't replace Lavender. She's not taking her place. But she absolutely does become that comforting presence in Parvati's life and becomes that thing that helps her, I guess, move through the grieving process instead of feeling so stuck in it. Yes. And then I just I really loved the part where you put it's so, sort of towards the very end when, uh, you know, they've had a couple of years together. Because uh, when you end this particular fic, Parvati and Luna have been in a relationship now together for, it's it seems like maybe a couple of years at that point, at the very end, right? Um, and you're talking about how Parvati still misses Lavender. She always will. That will always be a part of her heart. Lavender will always be there. So she can feel sad about that loss and she can still miss her. But her heart can also be so happy that Luna is here and her heart can also have such great love for Luna. And I loved how you said in your fic that both of those things can be true at the same time. Both of those things can exist together. And I thought that was such a beautiful sentiment. That is how it is. Two things can be true at the same time. Loving Luna doesn't mean that she didn't love Lavender. Loving Lavender doesn't mean that she doesn't love Luna. It can both exist. And I love that Luna allows both of those things to exist, you know? Yeah, I think in that way, Luna is such a great character for that because I think she just very inherently understands that kind of experience. She is very much, like, she doesn't mind that Parvati is going to be missing Lavender for probably the rest of their lives because she died when she was so young. You know, your best friend for years and then your first real relationship. And it's this very important part of your life. And then you go through the rest of your life just wondering what she would have been doing now. Like with every milestone that Parvati might have with like doing things that maybe she and Lefner talked about doing together. It's going to be this constant. She would have loved this. She would have been so happy being here and that's never really going to go away no it's not it's not and it's a beautiful thing that luna is not threatened by that that luna just accepts that and says this is a part of you like this person was a part of you and was so important to you and that's okay you know like luna just accepts all of that being part of parvati yes. and i thought that that was just a beautiful beautiful sentiment and in that same vein Parvati also accepts things about Luna, too, because Luna in this fic definitely has things that she's carried over from the war experience, you know, that she needs assistance with and support with. And so Parvati kind of like provides that same level of support and acceptance for her, too. And I just thought that these two together was so beautiful. Like they, it, it was just, ugh. by the time you finish this little story, like you just feel so good about everything because you're like okay this I'm is perfect so glad they're so perfect yeah it was beautiful I absolutely loved it and then of course I moved on from there after that and I, I read phenomenally unnerving which was so fantastic this one is more a Narcissa Malfoy what was the inspiration for this one 
Honestly, I just like giving Narcissa very competent Slytherin girlfriends. And Pandora fit the bill very nicely. I think I just wanted to write something cute and light and just a little lighthearted. You know, I write a lot of angst and a lot of like heavier, like grief stuff, unhealthy relationships, which is so much fun. But sometimes you want just a little bit of lightness, like just easy to write, you know, like they're teasing each other a little bit, then they kiss. It's cute. There's nothing else to it. So I think like that's just the main, there was no other real like inspiring thing or something. I just wanted to write something cute. Yeah, well, and you absolutely did. I mean, this was so entertaining just because you're watching two students, both Slytherin, sort of try to navigate this situation that they find themselves in, you know? Yes. <laughs> you do talk about Narcissa's experience with expectation and duty in this fic, which I thought was really appropriate because, you know, in this fic, she is a prefect, right? Which comes yes. with responsibility and duty. She is like roaming the halls at night, doing her prefect duties to see if she can catch any student up at night roaming the halls when they're not supposed to. And her job is to catch them and you know, hand out the punishments or whatever, you know, prefects do. So you do talk about her past experiences you know, especially with her family, right? And we've talked about that a little bit yes. about, you know, being a black and, you know, there's expectation there and there's duty there and there's like this structured expectation for how you're supposed to behave and the type of person you're supposed to be. And then she catches Pandora out <laughs> in the halls <laughs> after hours when she's not supposed to be there. And it was funny to me because I was thinking to myself, if she had caught somebody else and it wasn't Pandora and it wasn't a, a fellow Slytherin, I wonder how this encounter would have gone differently. You know what I mean? Because I almost feel like there was that element of like Slytherin um, solidarity a little bit where she knows intellectually like, you know, this is against the rules and I do need to like meet out some sort of consequence for this. But and I thought it was so funny. The way that you had Pandora handle it, because Pandora handled it in the most Slytherin way she possibly could. I know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> she just uses, like, interesting, like, cunning reason to try to reason her way out of it. And then when that doesn't seem to be going her way, she's like, well, I have one more trick up my sleeve, right? <laughs> and she just lays a big, fat, wet one on Narcissa Malfoy. And it turns into this like revelatory experience, I think, for Narcissa when she kisses Pandora because it's like this out of body, like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Because it kind of sounds like she's harbored some, what do I want to call it? Like maybe a crush or something on Pandora. So did Pandora know that? Did she know that Narcissa sort of had those feelings for her when she decided to kiss her in that moment? I think she had a feeling, yeah. Because <laughs> I think Narcissa is very much... Because, you know, like I said, everything that she does is kind of with this idea in the back of her head of you have to appear a certain way. And there are things you can do and should do and things you absolutely must never be caught doing. 
And you know, having like a little crush on Pandora Lovegood, it's not one of the things you're supposed to be doing. That's <laughs> no. not, <laughs> you know, that's everything you're not supposed to be doing. So she would have never actually let herself act on those feelings, I think, if it wasn't for Pandora, like just straight up telling her, you could just kiss me, you know, that's an option. Like, that would have never been an actual option in Narcissa's mind, because it's not supposed to be. And I just really like Pandora challenging her in that way. And, like, it's very... Like, it's a very teasing, light-hearted kind of, like, pushing her buttons in that way. Like, there's no, like, ill intention behind it or something. It's just a very logical... Well, you could just kiss me, you know? isn't logical to Narcissa at all. <laughs> yeah. You could tell in that moment when she hears Pandora say that, like that had never occurred to her before or something, you know, like, oh, almost like this moment of somebody else giving you permission to pursue something out of the ordinary that you want for yourself, but probably wouldn't have done. Yes. If somebody hadn't made the suggestion or just said, you could do this. Plus like, it's in the dark, like shadowy halls of Hogwarts yes. at night when everybody's sleeping. Like, who's going to know? No you know? one else is going to find out. <laughs> no. And that makes it so much safer. <laughs> yeah, well, and exciting, right? A little bit yes. exciting because you're like under the cover of shadow, like doing something that you know is not included in the list of expected behaviors for Narcissa Malfoy. <laughs> but she steps out of line in that moment and decides to do what she wants. And it was just really cool. I thought after this fic was over, wow, they would make such a great Slytherin power couple. I they think, would. you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> so it was really sweet. And it was a lot of fun to read. I had a great time with that because you did just make it like this lighthearted, you know, kind of a thing and then of course the last one that I read was You'd Come Back to Me which is Narcissa Malfoy and her cousin <laughs> Sirius Black right yes <laughs> yeah and I'm kind of wondering about this one too because this was very interesting to me you had mentioned that sometimes the infidelity theme is something that you like playing with a little bit and I did notice that, uh, okay, so this fic does have like some infidelity type themes in it because this is the fic where Narcissa is supposed to be getting married to uh, Lucius Malfoy. And she ends up like sort of leaving him at the altar, sort of, you know, just kind of leaving the situation when she's supposed to be getting yeah. married to him. And the person she runs to is Sirius Black, right? Yes. Yes. So I'm kind of wondering like what was going on with this fic? What made you want to write this particular story? I mean, I write a lot of serious Narcissa, but most of them are a little darker than this. Like, there's a lot of more direct infidelity. Like, you know, in this fic, technically she's still cheating, but also she's just left him at the altar. So, like, you know... She's not engaged anymore. Right, right, right. They hadn't actually gone through with the wedding, right? <laughs> so she's not technically married. But... Like, I've written, like, I've written one shot where they're just fucking in Malfoy Manor's bedroom. Like, that's... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, it gets a little heavier than this. <laughs> but I think a lot of what I write for them is a lot more angsty and it's very much, it's a lot more canon compliant. So it, there's always this underlying thing of after this is over, as much fun as we're having, you're going to go back to your pretty husband and you're going to go back to pretending to live this perfect life as if none of this happened, as if this is not a thing at all. And you're just going to go back to pretending to be perfect and pretending to be this very beautiful, well-behaved wife to this powerful man. And Sirius goes back to not existing in her world, basically. So this is very... Like, there's a happy ending here, which is very rare for them. <laughs> but this was specifically written for an exchange where, like, one of the prompt suggestions and ship su suggestions was Sirius Narcissa, and they liked happy endings and fluff and, like, more lighthearted stuff. Which, to me, sounded like a really fun challenge, because I'm really not used to writing them when they're happier. It just doesn't happen very oh, easily. Oh, so this was like a deviation from yes. where you usually go with this particular pairing. I see, I see. Yeah, it was really interesting. I loved this fic too because it sort of echoed some of the themes from the other fic that I read, where it sort of echoes those ideas of the expectation and the duty because of who she is and the family that she was born to. And I liked in this fic that you expanded on it just a little bit more. And you were sort of like showing us how from birth, right? From birth, yes. her family has this plan for her, right? You're a girl. So your role from birth is to become this like, you know, this perfect, I don't know, almost like representation of the family honor or whatever. And you're going to marry into a prestigious family and you're going to carry on the family honor that way and have like perfect children and blah, blah, blah. So she's had this like plan for her since birth, right? And on the one hand, like for some people, I suppose that can be comforting because you know what your role is early on and you know where your life is going to go and what it's going to look like. But it's funny to me how she has that part of her personality that wants to deviate from that plan and doesn't necessarily <laughs> go along with it. And so like you talk about how this thing that she's got going on with Sirius and it, in your story, she's been doing this with Sirius for quite some time. This is not like a one off kind of thing, but this is the thing that she does for her. Yes. It's like it's the one thing in her life that is for her because all of the rest of it is it's not really for her. It's for her family. It's for, you know, high society. It's for all of these other things. But this is the only thing that she does for herself because she wants to. And I thought that that was so profound. Yes. Because I think, like, for Narcissa, all of those expectations are almost too comforting in a way. Because I write her... I In most of these one-shots, I write her as trends. So... When, like, at birth, she was supposed to be, like, the heir of the family. Which, you know, she has two older sisters. So she was, like, the last hope for her father of, hey, I have my heir who will marry some beautiful woman into the black family. 
and have more kids to continue the name. And that's right. that's, that's your role. She was supposed to carry it. Yes. So she has already, at one point in her life, really gone against what her family expected and needed from her. And I think when they decided not to disown her over that, which I think she I think she went into that like kind of not expecting, but really assuming that it was a, a genuine possibility to be disowned. When they don't, I think she she kind of feels like she owes them perfection now. Like she I think she lives a lot of the rest of her life just trying not to make her family regret keeping her in the family. Like just proving to them that she was worth this and she can do this and she is perfect in every other way, which is so sad. But I think she finds a lot of comfort in that way in knowing exactly what she has to do in order to be perfect. Like it's a very clear rule book of do this, do this, behave like this, look like this, do this, have his children. That's the, that's the way you, your life is supposed to go. Yes, the nice clean checklist. You know, like the map. This is the map yes. of your life. Yeah, it's just a very clear way of if you want to do this, you have to be perfect. And the way to be perfect is to be like this. I think she really like convinces herself that that's going to be like the path to happiness, which it's really not. And it's so sad because I think then on the side you have Sirius who knows exactly what she's been through and knows why she's making these decisions and knows how unhappy it's going to make her to lift them all out. And in this fic, she actually realizes it on time before she gets married. And she gets to show up at his doorstep and be like, hey, I'm your problem now. Yes, yes. She kind of like comes barreling into his life. And he, he says several times, what am I supposed to do with you now? Yes. Like, I, this wasn't the plan. Yeah, it was so funny, his reaction to it. But um, I just thought that, I mean, this was so profound for so many different reasons. I think I, think I related to it so much because I'll try to explain why. See if this makes sense. Um, sometimes I'm not very good at explaining things, but we talk all the time on this podcast about how powerful stories are and how powerful the ideas of stories can be in our own personal lives. And I feel like as humans, when we grow up in circumstances where we do have those expectations placed upon us, those expectations become a story and that becomes the mythos of which we make our decisions and the way that we live our lives. And I have seen instances, and I've experienced it in my own life too, where sometimes we get brave enough to deviate from the story. We get brave yes. enough to break away from the mythos that others have placed upon us, and we decide that we can create our own story. And I will tell you from personal experience that sometimes breaking away from that story and making your own story is one of the hardest and one of the bravest things that you'll ever do in your entire life. 
because stories are that powerful, right? Yes. That breaking away from it and finding the bravery to deviate from it can sometimes take everything that you have. And that's what I appreciated about this story, that even though there's still that part of her that wants to stick with the story and go along with the plan, and I think yes. that she probably will, you know, eventually end up doing that to some capacity here. But she's still showing that she has the ability, the chutzpah, you know, like the gravitas yes. to, in certain ways, break away from that expectation, from that story, has the bravery to step away from it in certain aspects of her life and keep those parts separated somehow and compartmentalized just for her. And to me, that felt like an incredibly brave, courageous act. And so that's kind of what I came away from the story feeling like, wow, that's actually really brave. <laughs> I like it. Yes, because I think for her, like, that's so scary. Because that's just her whole life has been doing what's expected of her and knowing exactly what the next step is going to be. And even if that's very oppressive in a way and very constricting, that also means that you never have to wonder what the next thing is going to be. Right. And now that she makes the choice to not marry Lucius and run away from her wedding, which will probably mean that she's definitely, definitely disowned this time, there's no next step that she already knows to take. There's nothing in her life anymore where she immediately knows, okay, now I have to do this. It's just a lot of empty space when she doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And it's yes. terrifying. It is terrifying because you sort of put her on this brand new path and that's kind of where the story ends. But in my mind, based on in my experience, I know that her next step is deconstruction. Deconstruction of everything she ever thought was true. Deconstruction of the plan that she had her whole life. Deconstruction yes. <laughs> of that urge to let other people dictate what you're going to do. And now you have to write your own plan. You have to like think for yourself. And that can be incredibly exciting, but it's also very scary because you're right. Now you don't have the plan to fall back on. You don't have other people and their opinions to tell you what to do. And that, you know, again, like I think it's one of the bravest things that human beings can ever do is breaking yes. away from that and making their own way in the world and forging their own path. So I thought that this was just like so interesting and so good because, yeah, it kind of shows what could happen if she decided to do that. And that's very interesting to think about. I was wondering about pairings because... I know that when you first contacted me, you talked about like, oh, I like this pairing. I like this pairing. You listed off like all these pairings. And I was like, oh, that's so cool, right? That's so cool because it lets you have a lot of different variety and a lot of different option when you're writing your fan fiction on, you know, you get to pick lots of different pairings when you write because you have interest in lots of different ones. And I was wondering, based on these three fan fictions, because each of them focus on a different pairing. Out of all of these three pairings, is there one that you feel like attached to the most? In my head, this is always such a difficult question because I, I love them all so much. <laughs> but I think I, that's also why I write like mainly one shots because I 
I just don't have the time to write anything longer for all these different types of pairings and dynamics that I really want to talk about. But like logically and objectively speaking, it has to be serious Narcissa because that's just... When you look at my, my AO3, that's the one by far that I've written the most about. And that's the one that I talk the most about. So I think that's just logically definitely the favorite one. But that's so hard to say because I love them so much. All of them. Well, that's why I love that you have like reached this point where you understand that about yourself. And you can just stick to the one shots instead of being like, yes. I should make longer fix. No. For you, because you have in interest in these like varied, you know, pairings and, and different people and everything, the one shot thing works so well for you because you do get to play and explore in lots of different dynamics and lots of different pairings and just have a really great time without feeling like you're trapped and tied down with any particular one. Yes. So I love that you've discovered that about yourself and you just know this is the way that I work and that I operate. And I think that that's so cool and such a great place to come to, I think, in your creative journey. I was kind of curious about your creative like writing journey, just in the sense of, I feel like a lot of times writers do find that they are sometimes influenced by something particular, you know, as they go through their process of learning to write and, you know, practicing and all of that. And I was just wondering, as you've gone along in your own writing journey, do you feel like you've been influenced by anything in particular? I mean, I started mainly because my grandpa, he writes a lot of poems. So like, especially when we, when we were younger, he would be writing poems about us and he would be reading his old, old, old stuff to us. And it was just so much fun. So I was really eager to like start writing my own poems to be able to show him. Which, you know, I, I was like six. So, you know, that's, <laughs> they weren't great, but they were so much fun. And he was so proud, which is just like this really nice feeling. And I think from there on, I've just always been very, like writing is always something that I've been very interested in. But I think like finding fan fiction really allowed me to like figure out, oh, hey, there are all these ready-to-write topics and pairings that I can just jump into that I already know I like. Because that's a big struggle I have with original stuff. I find it so much easier to write when I already know that I like the characters. And when I'm making my own characters, I don't know them. I don't know these characters yet. So I don't yet know. It's very hard to become excited about it when I don't feel like I know it very well yet because of course I don't know it very well because I haven't figured it out yet. Whereas with fan fiction, you can just like, you already know that you love a specific ship or a specific character. You're excited before you even start writing, which is just a lot easier to do. But I think in terms of like something that changed along the way is really giving myself permission and finding more spaces that allowed for it to like write exactly what I wanted to write. Because I think for the first few years of actively writing in Harry Potter fandom, I was very much in these like specific Tumblr spaces where there was this strong mentality of like, you know, everything has to be sort of canon compliant. And if it's not, it should still be like very wholesome and kind of pure and 
that was fine when I was just really into like um, Lucius Narcissa and Drary and that was all the things that I was writing. And then I got into like Sissamione, like Narcissa Hermione and Sirius Narcissa, who are cousins, <laughs> which is a lot like a step up, you know, like the darker side, which at the time was very much not something anyone else that I knew was even considering or accepting of at all. So it, it, it had clashed very much for a while. And I think just finding like different spaces within fandom where people really like these particular ships or they are very accepting of the like slightly darker themes in fanfiction was just really, really great. Because then you have this like mental permission of writing exactly what you want to be writing and this darker stuff that you want to be exploring without feeling like you're going to be yelled at the moment you post it. <laughs> yes. Yes. So being able to expand your own consciousness yes. within the fandom, right? I love how you said that that sort of gave you that mental permission to explore further because it sounds like you kind of wanted to do that. And then finding other people who had already been there, right? And we're already doing it. was like, oh, yes. I can do this. I can, and it's okay. I love that. I don't think we realize sometimes that when we give ourselves permission to say something or do something that other people might find a little weird yes. or a little like, eh, I don't know about that. But when we give ourselves permission to do that, we are giving other people permission to do it too. Yes. And I feel like we don't talk about that enough. You know, we don't talk about that enough, like how liberating that can be for not just us, but for other people too. And I think for that, like, I found a few like older people in fandom, like at least older than me, which like as a teenager, it was just like, I was just, everyone else that I was following was also like 15, you know? But finding people who had already been through that realization of, hey, I can just write whatever the fuck I want to write. I don't have to ask permission from other teenagers whether I'm allowed to write this Harry Potter ship. That's not something I have to do. Like people who had already been through that journey and had like just realizing how big this fandom is. Because I don't think I quite grasped how many people are in this fandom when I was younger. I didn't realize how many different spaces there were in this fandom. I really thought, well, I've, I'm in this space now. This is it, right? There's nothing else. And then you start looking elsewhere and it's like, oh, oh my God, everyone else is doing this. <laughs> and it's just so liberating to have also just these people to look up to when you're a bit younger. And just see, oh, hey, it's okay, actually. Yes, yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I, you know, I love that you bring that up, too, because I don't think we talk about that enough sometimes, too. As I'm listening to you talk and I'm thinking about what you're saying, I'm realizing in this moment right now that Harry Potter probably is the fandom that this applies to the most in my experience. I'm just talking from my experience because, of course, there's lots of other fandoms that I'm unaware of and not part of at all, right? 
But Harry Potter for me has always, like you said, when you think about it, there are so many different little pockets and different sects, right? Within the fandom of different interests and different things. And it's not just this homogenous, like Harry Potter fandom. Like it really is so stratified and different. And that is so interesting. As I'm thinking about it, I'm not sure that there are any other fandoms that I've ever been involved in that are quite like it. You see elements of that in other fandoms, certainly. But I just think that perhaps because of the breadth of characters that are available in the Harry Potter fandom, the level of um, stratification that you're going to find in Harry Potter is going to be much vaster, I suppose, than, uh, than other fandoms would have. So that's so interesting. I love that you bring that up. You know, my next question, I I feel like we've kind of covered this at several points throughout our discussion today, but I'll still ask it just in case there's anything else that you wanted to say about it that you haven't already, because we, we have talked about different things about fandom life as you've gone through your journey. We've talked about the community aspect. We've talked about, you know, you making realizations in your own writing journey, thanks to community and fandom life and everything. Are there any other aspects about fandom life that you haven't already mentioned that you wanted to talk about real quick that you love? I think other than that, like in like the last two years, I've really started to like host more things and I've realized how much fun that is. Like before that, that it never really occurred to me that that is something that I could do. But like, like, you know, I've been running like um, HP Transfest and HP, HP MCD Fest, which is so much fun to do. This year I started the uh, Cephic Microfix on Tumblr, which is just like daily prompts and so much fun. And uh, me and my friend opened a Discord server about Sirius Black with just all these different ships. And it's so much fun to host these kinds of like creation fests and communities and I didn't realize how much fun it could be but I think that's really just when I was looking for other places to like do fandom and be in fandom that weren't the ones I'd found when I was like 15 it was just very important to me to find those spaces and those people that you could be really weird and strange with and very loud and annoying And I'm having a really good time, like more recently, trying to create similar spaces for other people. And it's very exciting when that actually works out. Oh, so it sounds like the fun part for you is watching that happen and watching yourself being able to create that for other people when you yourself have had so many beautiful experiences, you know, as you've grown up in fandom and as you've gone you know, along through the years, you've had those wonderful places and those wonderful experiences. So being able to kind of give those back. Yes. It's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's so, so cool. And I bet that you learn a lot hosting these different events and creating these spaces for others. I mean, I think the fun part is mainly that you see what people from all different corners in the fandom are doing. Which is just fascinating because, you know, there's every like semi big ship has its own little community and they have different 
tropes that they like best and they have different spaces that they can be found. Like you have all these different like characters and eras that people really enjoy and different kinds of dynamics that people really enjoy. And some of them are only found or are mainly found in like Facebook fandom groups or in these Twitter circles or on TikTok in all these platforms that I don't really use to do fandom. So you don't really find them or you don't really come across them that easily. But it's so much fun seeing that all flow together and just seeing people really excitedly talk about characters you never found interesting or you don't even like, but just their excitement is so good. I absolutely love that because, yeah, yeah, as you're talking about that, you can kind of like tell like there's this um, there's this sound of joy in your voice when you talk about that. (laughs) And I love that. I love hearing that. Yes, sometimes fandom can be this like toxic, dramatic place where, you know, weird things happen. Yes. It can also be wonderful. We can create good places for people. We can be part of healthy communities. It's possible. I think that's what I love when I hear people talk about how much fun they're having in creating these spaces is just hearing the joy in people's voices and knowing that it's possible to create these good places for people to be and express and, you know, feel good about what they're doing. And I just, I love that. So my last question before we do the shout outs, how would you describe like your version of a perfect fic? If you were to suddenly stumble upon the perfect fan fiction on AO3, what would that fan fiction look like? What elements would it have? Oh, There are so many different potential answers to this, depending on what I'm looking for on a certain day. Right, right, right. I mean, it has to include Narcissa. If it's going to be perfect, it's about Narcissa and it's all about her. Like, and it'd be femslash, I think, because as much as, as I love serious Narcissa, I think the ideal fic would be like a really in-depth Narcissa femslash fic that's just beautiful. And then either it should be like perfectly canon compliant angst. Like just, I, I love Narcissa in these relationships that really play with the fact that she really does love her partner and is really in the end way too scared to throw away her entire planned future f- to be with them. And just the angst and the pain that comes with that, especially when there's a war going on and they are going to die young and the regret that's so perfectly painful. I really like pairing her with like Dorcas Meadows who dies in the first war, you know? (laughs) So just the idea of Narcissa breaking up with her to marry Lucius and live this perfect life and then reading in the papers a few years later that she died. It's so painful because, you know, then you just find it out through the papers. That's all. Ooh. Okay. So that would be your perfect fic. Canon compliant angst with like rivals to lovers and a good first kiss. And then how it all turns out with Rodolphus as her best friend. And then just dealing with how she regrets the rest of her life, how scared she was as a teenager. That's just good. 
Yes, I agree. All of those elements together, that would be a banging fic. Uh -huh. I love it. Okay, perfect. So we are coming up to the end here. And my last question for you, of course, is the shout outs. Do you have any other fan fiction writers that you'd like to shout out on the podcast real quick? This was so hard to answer because yes, <laughs> so many. A Discord server of like a hundred people full, please. Yes, I know the challenge is to like decide how much to say because there's only a couple of minutes to do it. But <laughs> I really like um, Fizzlecat. She wrote like my favorite fic that I've read in years. And it's not even about Narcissa. So that's something. Like her fic Icarus specifically is just incredible. I love it so much. It's very dark. Read the text, but it's beautiful. One of my favorite Sissomayne, like Narcissa Hermione offers is Eva Writes on AO3. She writes so fast and she writes such beautiful AUs. And the, these really cool canon compliant fix that really play with how everything turns out. It's gorgeous. And Jen and Blitz, like she wrote this beautiful Slytherin Death Eater series AU that had him married to Narcissa. And still he, he, he had this really dark affair with Remus and it was so good. And Stone Cold Hedwig who, like, um, she mainly writes Jilly and Black Inan, which I love both, but I specifically really love the way she writes Narcissa and Robest and Lestrange. We have this whole universe set up for them that ties into canon so painfully, and I love it so much. And the fics she writes within that specific setting are so good. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for those. We'll make sure to get them up on the show notes. Seriously, Safik, thank you so much for joining us today. This was awesome. This was so much fun. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Check out her stories on AO3 and give her some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, on Tumblr at fanficmaverickpodcast, on Instagram and Twitter at fanficmaverick, and I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling.